Welcome back, everyone, to our two cast number 173. Uh, I'll introduce today's guest in a wee minute, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this episode. I'll probably say something along the lines of, of I'm looking forward to every episode when I when I uh, introduce it, don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, I think this, this episode's got a bit of peace in my heart, as, as a lot of you guys will know over the last few months, but we'll get into why and, and what, what that reason is. Um, <clears throat> the last episode we had was with Sophie Gregory. Sophie is a record holder now in the R2 cast, 172 episodes. She was in the 172nd last week um, but she's the first person ever to appear in two R2 casts with an individual so having done 170 episodes I was kind of at the stage I was like right there's people out there like people that spring to mind mates like Cammy Wilson, Carol Devaney, Kaz whoever um, Will I'm just saying a, a, a group chat we have for example um, I filmed with them ages ago and they've done great things in the last two and a half years that we've had the podcast well three years now and uh, I thought you know how do I sort of do that first, have someone on for the second time? And Sophie presented herself, having been on episode number 108. Um, she's in the same Nuffield cohort as me. So a perfect start. I'm interviewing everyone in that cohort anyway. Um, so yeah, we had came on. How do we catch up? Um, a sort of update as to where she is <clears throat> seven months on from the last episode. And then also just sort of what our plans Nuffield-wise are and what the crack is there. Uh, just, just good crack. We got on very well. So it was uh, a, a nice episode there. The next episode we'll have, number 174, uh, will be an all-in episode, uh, so Ed and myself, and it's quite a cool one, we've actually got some pretty big names coming on in that side of things, we've got the an ex-world number four darts player for the 180th episode, because I think I'm clever, um, we've got Ivan Carter, who you might not know of, but um, he runs a show very similar to what sort of Steve Irwin had, but in South Africa, um, so big in wildlife conservation, uh, massive Instagram and Facebook accounts, and then also... Um, number 174, the one that's next week, is with Ricky Forbes. Ricky's on Tornado Hunters, so I don't know if anyone's interested in that sort of wild extremes of 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 sort of the weather that we can see and chasing tornadoes and stuff like that. So he's a big star out in the States. Uh, so yes, yeah, really random ones coming up, um, but that's the next one uh, on there. Today's episode, as I said, very important to me. Um, a lot of you guys will know that back in October, um, in the middle of October, my... Uh, October holidays for work fell very well with a mission for pickups for peace heading out to um, Ukraine to deliver pickups, med supplies, anything they can to try and help troops out there uh, fight the aggression that's sort of, sort of happening at the minute. And uh, yeah, one of the people behind that and someone I felt I, I grew very close to over the three or four days we were together was Keith Dawson. So Dr. Keith Dawson is our guest today. Keith, would you like to say hello? Hi there. Thanks, Wallace. That's uh, great for you uh, to invite me and uh, onto this esteemed podcast. And thank you once again for the great efforts you made that uh, few days to drive across Europe and deliver those uh, that aid and that four-wheel drive vehicle. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. And in, in a very real sense, save lives there's no doubt that that's happening and uh, certainly since uh, gaza and since the new year as many of your listeners will be uh, very well aware 
Um, the uh, the battle has intensified, particularly with missiles and and drones. And uh, you yourself will have seen that some of the steps we're making to help uh, air defence there with um, vehicles and, and equipment and uh, and things such things as secondhand trawler nets from Scotland to try and shield things there because things have certainly stepped up again. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Gaza uh, was linked through Iran and Russia to um, try and deflect attention. It did indeed take uh, horrifically um, attention of the world from Ukraine. And uh, you know, I can tell uh, your listeners that um, things have intensified both in the, in the ground there and in the air uh, since, since the October the 7th, uh, when uh, the uh, attack was made on Israel, and which coincidentally was actually Vladimir Putin's birthday. So no connections there at all as you might uh, imagine. Um, but uh, certainly um, things have intensified. So thank you once again for your great efforts. I think we've had now about 450 drivers uh, and each one of them have saved lives. Um, so thank you. No, I think, you know, I've, I've mentioned the podcast, I've mentioned your name maybe four or five times now, Keith, in fairness, of that sort of the the, the statement that now two months ago, obviously, but when, when I went out, it was in two months' time, the whole idea of, you know, that's 250 Christmas dinner tables that aren't going to have an empty chair and you sort of said that at first and it sort of just passed over and you kept on with the day or whatever you were doing what we had to do and then when I came home and I remember speaking to Yasmin about it and saying that and she was like oh my god and I was like shit yeah that is profound and it's so true and it I think it really kicked in when we went round to the I mean I don't even know if you can call it a graveyard because it's not a graveyard yet but what what is what's there to remember those that were aware that we have lost from Lviv not in Lviv um it's such a true thing and we, we will get into Ukraine. I just kind of want to do, before we do, um, sort of almost do a bit of background about yourself, Keith, and how, how you found yourself so involved. You know, I think people like myself or, or other folk involved in the convoy have, have played a part, played a small part, an important part, absolutely. But, uh, you know, you've been sort of in, very involved in, in making it happen. And for those listening, um, just while I quickly troll Spotify to get the right number, uh, if you do want to hear more about pickups for peace, um, I have had Vince on before. Um, Vince came on, yeah, R two cast number one hundred and twenty one. Vince has got a really interesting career as well, out with pickups for peace too, uh, with a, a a direct connection to Ukraine himself. Um, when he went out there, he met his partner who was translating for him originally. Um. Vince tells the story there too, so you might want to listen to this episode and then head to that one as well. So that was a uh, number one two one. Um, but before we get into pickups for peace in Ukraine, which has probably became arguably the biggest part of of your days these days, Keith. In in fairness, but let's talk about your sort of background. What was a young Keith Dawson doing? Well, a young Keith Dawson was uh, in, in his uh, um, early years was playing every summer on his grandmother's farm in uh, what's now called again Westmoreland. Uh, she was uh, a sheep farmer, and uh, she always said that Noah took three sheep onto the ark because so, he knew there'd be one dead in the morning. Um, so uh, I know you have a fellow feeling for that, Wallace, with your with your experience. Uh, so that's really where I got my, um, if you like, appetite for the uh, the landscape and the, uh, and the ethos of, of farming and, and agriculture. Um, I was born and brought up in an industrial area at Teesside, a place called Stockton, which James cleverly has been rather rude about recently, but is a far better place than, uh, than he he knows. Um, but uh, an industrial landscape there, um, I 
was very interested in geography, chemistry and biology. Um, and uh, the three of those fitted into um, finding a degree in the very early years of the discipline um, when people wondered what on earth a degree in environmental science would be about. Uh, and even more so the course that I did at the University of Newcastle, um, which uh, was agriculture and environmental science. And again, a lot of people asked the question back in there in the, the, the mid 70s, because I really am that that old. <laughs> um, so, so last century was what have agriculture and the environment got to do with each other? You know, it, it just shows how far we've come, Wallace. And, and uh, now, indeed, the faculty is called agriculture and environmental science. So that shows uh, shows progress there. Interestingly, my mother was um, a dairy advisor uh, with the Milk Marketing Board, and she went to what was King's College Durham, which was actually what University of Newcastle uh, upon time was called before it became an independent university. It was a college of, of the University of Durham. So there's a, a, a thread, if you like, of um, uh, farming and agriculture uh, going through. And um, agriculture and environmental science was, was a mix of soils and crops and uh, landscape and, and, and all sorts of things abroad um, uh, based there. And I went on from there to uh, um, a place called the Grassland Research Institute uh, and did a PhD. Um, and uh, through the University of Reading, a, a great esteemed um, place for, for agriculture. And um, that was uh, on, on nitrogen, the fundamental for the, all the protein that we eat. But was interestingly, I side branched off as part of the PhD into uh, making some of the early work on, uh, with a colleague, John Ryden, on greenhouse gas emissions, uh, uh, doing the first in-field measurements in the UK on grassland of uh, a molecule called nitrous oxide, which was a bit esoteric at the time, but now of course is, uh, has become very famous as a greenhouse gas. I'm delighted that I still get some citations for that original work on the, a technique that's still being used to this day to, to measure the, these emissions. So I've had a lot of skin in the game in terms of uh, environment and, and climate uh, uh, science and so forth, as well as soil, soil management from that time. Um, I've worked on six continents. Uh, I think it's 48 years now I've been doing agronomy and uh, technology and, and, and crop science, if you like. Uh, worked for the uh, Scottish Government, SAC, um, your uh, forerunner of your esteemed organisation. Um, uh, when I graduated uh, with my PhD and then moved on to uh, CSC, which was uh, a company uh, providing a broad range of services and advice to farmers worked uh, with BSF as well, and also with, with Shell, and uh, then back to SAC as head of crops, uh, and at the same time was uh, developing work in Poland and uh, Ukraine. So I've worked on six continents, um, uh, also done some work, pioneering work in Cuba, and currently working also in Brazil, Paraguay, and Mozambique, as well as Ukraine uh, and uh, and Poland. So uh, it's been an exciting life, and, and I know some of your uh, listeners will be starting out on their agricultural careers. And I can tell you with great certainty that if I had my time again, I wouldn't choose a different path. You guys are lucky. You're stepping out into a wonderful industry full of wonderful people. It's not easy sometimes, but it's uh, very, very satisfying. And uh, if we look at the, the, the needs of the population growing uh, and food security, then the efforts of the farming industry are gonna be needed more than ever in the future. And a very exciting time 
with technology and uh, new new ways of, of doing things. Uh, I've never, ever uh, seen any conflict between good farming practice and the environment, and that's doubly so uh, now. Um, and so this, this marriage, if you like, of creating environmental services and stewardship, yet producing enough quality food for us to, to, to use as a population and to, to export as well as feed our own people. It's a very exciting place to be, I think. So well done on those of you who've chosen this career. As I say, I wouldn't choose a different path if I had to choose it again. It's been exciting. It's been memorable. The people I've met, places I've been, um, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't invent it. It's been, it's been really quite a wild ride. Not least in in uh, Eastern Europe or the Wild East, as we used to call it, um, uh, and of course is is uh, wild again today. Uh, but some very interesting uh, times and uh, a lot of good experiences. I think you're right, and, and just for reference, I think about, I think it's about thirty four percent of the listeners are eighteen to thirty. Um, listen to it at that age group um but i think i think your proof keith has a lot of folk that come on the podcast that not the only job in agriculture is not it's sorry i've said that wrong the only job in agriculture is not working on a farm fantastic jobs working on various farms but there's such a extended sector here that so many folk are involved in and you can have different involvements in food production and food and farming and whatever from so many different angles and it's I think if anything else doing this podcast is opened my eyes even more than I realised to that, just how, how much that is. Um how, you're how, absolutely how, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's it's an all encompassing industry. I mean, not many <laughs> not many industries out there require three times a day, if not more. Um, you know, if we're lucky enough. But how how was it in that time where, you know, I can just imagine in the seventies being involved in an environment with a focus on farming. Was that was that quite hard to penetrate, sort of folks' opinions and stuff like that, or was it was it, it was a difficult? Yeah, no, there was, there was a bit of scepticism for sure, uh, and um, obviously at that stage I was an Englishman coming up uh, from the, the south of England to Scotland, um, and uh, you know that had its had its challenges, but I found it an extremely welcoming place, uh, and um, you know having a doctor in front of the uh, the, the surname. Uh, give uh, undue gravitas, but at least people were prepared to to, to listen to you. Um, but if you if you uh, you BSed at all, then you weren't going to get very far. So um, my uh, area has really been agronomy, and at that time in Scotland, it was a very interesting <clears throat> excuse me interesting uh, time because there was a the in in uh, uh, the invention, if you like, of, of winter cropping in Scotland. Before then, it had been spring barley and potatoes in the arable area. Um, and grassland <clears throat> and uh, so uh, things like uh, winter barley and winter wheat and oilseed rape were just starting to be grown so it was a it was good timing the secret of, of uh, happiness and, and uh, achievement in life I think is good timing I would just quickly like to interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors Howden Rural the new name for Aplan Rural Howden Rural offers bespoke plans for UK farms and estates and will give you tailored plans to ensure your farm and estates workhorse tractor or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Good timing and good timing. Um, and certainly that was the case there. So that everybody was learning and it was a very uh, challenging and, and, and fascinating uh, time to be involved. I'd have to say that um, 
you know, there are elements of, uh, of SAC who are a little bit Luddite um, in terms of winter cropping. Um, we had the North of Scotland College uh, who thought that winter barley and ulcerative rape couldn't be grown in, in Aberdeenshire. Um, we had uh, pathologists at the, uh, the, the, uh, the East College, because uh, they're all three separate colleges then, who um, thought that, uh, you know, you were a bad neighbour if you grew winter barley because it transferred uh, a winter bridge of disease across to the, uh, the, the much uh, popular golden promise for, for malting barley, which was very susceptible to mildew. So there were challenges there. Uh, there was a fourth College of Agriculture in, um, uh, in Scotland at that time. Uh, in Forfa, and it was the Forfa College office run by a, a fantastic guy called Sandy Mackay, who was a, a great mentor and an influence on me. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, as a young person, you should look to some of these people to, to aid you in your journey because you can make a lot of, of uh, shortcuts. <clears throat> and one of the things that Sandy taught me is the difference between being average and outstanding wasn't very much. You just had to do things faster, more efficiently, get that, in those days, a letter in the post that night rather than waiting to the next day. Now it's an email, um, but you can be um, outstanding in the, in the agriculture industry if you just do that little bit extra, and it doesn't, doesn't take much. But at a challenging time with winter crops coming in and lots of new things uh, developing and uh, a lot of uh, crop chemistry coming in to help protect these new crops as well. So... Uh, uh, very interesting time to be involved and uh, whether I was with SAC, then BSF and then Shell CSC, then there were always challenges. You know, uh, CSC had the largest contract spraying organisation in, in Europe at that stage. So we, we sprayed to something like 200,000 hectares of crops uh, on a contract basis per annum. Uh, so that was another, another interesting thing and getting, the, getting the, the droplet where it needs to, to be and avoiding environmental impact was all part of that. Yeah, pioneering things like GPS, um, pioneering things like uh, uh, low drift nozzles and, and so forth. And uh, the whole precision farming came in uh, just before the millennium, really. And I remember working with the, the great Colin McGregor down at Coldstream Mames, arable farmer the year last year, uh, working together again, learning together. And uh, it's always a partnership as, as an agronomist. Uh, working with a farmer, you learn as much from each each other. Um, it's not a one-way street uh, knowledge. Um, you're working on precision farming and uh, and soil mapping, and we introduced uh, soil fertility mapping into Scotland at that time. Uh, you know to target fertilisers better. So again, I would say there's no conflict in my view between um, being a good farmer and being a good environmental steward. Uh, but as I've said many times before. Uh, you can't be uh, you can't be green if you're in the red. So it needs to make money. You know, I'm just listening to you say that, Keith, and thinking this is not a hopeless plug. I promise. Um, there's an episode that is released not at the time of us recording this, but will be released at the time of this episode release with a guy called Tom Scrope. Tom's one of the other um, uh, scholars of my cohort as well, and uh, him along with a guy called I can't remember. Ben's surname, that's terrible. His name eludes me, but Ben who worked at um was it was it, it wouldn't have been the dick. It would have been um he was an academic anyway. They've created this soil benchmarking app. And uh, just everything you're talking about is just very similar to what what they're doing now, but I guess just sort of a wee bit forward building on a lot of what you've done. Um so that might be an interesting one for you to sort of look back at there, Ben, if you're listening. Sorry, I've forgotten your surname, but um 
yeah, just a one for for those listening and enjoying mm-hmm. what he's saying. Um, so that's that's sort of happening, Keith, and you know, I've, over the last few <clears throat> few months, I've went from having been to two countries to I think it's eleven now, or is it nine? I can't remember. Um, and just fallen in love with seeing other cultures, and one of them was Ukraine and whatever. But I've with that, I've brought a lot of people onto the podcast that travel or work in different places and whatnot and it's absolutely starting to fascinate me and probably the discussions you and I had in buses traveling to to one of the the businesses in in Ukraine was probably where that sort of stemmed from and I guess the question that I've got is why why did you find yourself in Poland and Ukraine and I'm, I'm going to direct a question in particular because I think for those that know enough about farming to know about some of the best grounds in the world you know you think of Ukraine but you think of the east of Ukraine, or certainly I do, um, and I think a lot will. Um, but you guys moved in in the in the west, and you told me the reason for this, and I found it very interesting. It's, it's why I've sorted, why I've guided it. But yeah, why Poland and Ukraine at that time, and what what was happening in Poland and Ukraine at that time? Well, you know, building on all the uh, the uh, experience and knowledge I developed, uh, you know, and particularly, for example, in Aberdeenshire, some of the the, the best farmers in. In Scotland, there, where the difference between a good farmer and a, uh, and a bad farmer is, is a day rather than a week. Uh, you might be in some of the easier places to. to I then worked a bit in Ireland um, on a consultancy basis, and um, you know the, uh, the the I'm a great fan of stand-up comedy, and uh, the, one of my favourites is Ed Byrne, and he always said of his uh, um, trade that it was easier to travel than write new material, uh, and that's exactly what I what I found. You know. Um, it was going uh, uh, to other places and, and helping them develop and learn some of the lessons that we, we've learned. The easiest way to learn is from other people's experience and and uh, avoid the mistakes. And we, we've seen that quite a bit in uh, what I call the Central East European leapfrog effect, where, they, where they've jumped from uh, horse-drawn implements um, and old technology right through to the modern precision farming in one jump rather than a series of of small skips as we've had to do in the UK. But I met a guy who's been very influential in my, in my life and um, another one, um, a, a guy called Mark Laird, uh, who um, had just finished at Sirencester and uh, there was not enough room for him and his brother on the farm back in Angus. Um, I'm still working very closely with Mark, but more about that later. Um, and uh, he and his brother, we met in a, in a restaurant in Edinburgh and uh, he had plans to go and look at renting some land that was just becoming available with the fall of communism in Poland. No, not in the EU at that stage, uh, but you could sign uh, on one line, you could get uh, two or 3,000 hectares from the government with a sensible business plan um, to, to crop. And uh, we did some back of the, uh, the napkin calculations, quite literally. And uh, it looked like it was a go, even at world prices with no EU support, uh, it could be made to work. And uh, Mark went off there. I helped him along the journey. And uh, uh, long, long story short, we developed a model that worked and expanded there. But ex- expansion uh, was um, difficult further 10 years later on in Poland because land prices had gone up, which was obviously a benefit to those who bought land. Uh, rental of land was more difficult um, because of the scarcity. So we, we knew we had a good model and we had good people, we trained, um, and we were looking to see if we 
if it will be expanded um, along the way. It, it, along the way, um, uh, he and I helped uh, set up, I was a co-founder of uh, ProCam Paul School, which is now has more agronomists in the field than any other private organisation in the whole of Poland. Uh, and um, although it was funded by a, a UK company, ProCam, uh, down in East Anglia, um, now is the, the Polish turnover and profitability dwarfs the UK parent. So that was also an interesting time. And I've, I've got a lot of um, pleasure out of training young agronomists and seeing how their, their uh, careers have, have, have developed and, and flourished. And some of them uh, have just been, had amazing careers. So it can be done, guys. It can be done. So anyway, back to uh, looking around. Um, at that time, Graham Kerr of SAC had uh, just done a study for HGCA, as it was then, looking at the competitivity of, uh, of uh, global cereal production, who who were the big competitors with the, with the UK. And uh, the last man standing in terms of cost of production per tonne was um, Ukraine or Australia. And we thought Australia was probably too far to go. The... Um, uh, Ukraine, we went to look at um, the the, uh, the soils. I legendary. I'd learned a lot about those in my uh, time at New, Newcastle, um, and they were every bit as good as as we saw when we when we visited these Chernas and black soils. And at that time, you could rent. Uh, this is back in now two two thousand and five. You could rent uh, set by the government um, a lease of a hectare for about um, $50 a hectare. Uh, now, that was about compared, uh, similar quality of land, uh, the best quality in land in, in Scotland would be, uh, you know, something like uh, 700 uh, at that stage, uh, if, not, if not double that in, in some places. So um, if we had a model that worked and the land uh, cost was as, as little and the quality was as good, then, um, if we couldn't make uh, a viable business and develop a business on that, then we really should be in some other job. Um, I suppose um, we looked uh, um, very carefully at a number of other things. I guess the four uh, USPs for Ukraine at that point of view, and there were many, many challenges, um, were the fact that land was available. Um, there'd been the collapse of um, the, the, the Soviets uh, not too uh, long long before that in the Orange Revolution. They were thrown out of the uh, the Soviets were thrown out of um, Ukraine, and um, the, uh, the the old um, collective farms were um, all broken up, and each villager was given one or two hectares. I think it's important to to spin back a little bit in history there, because in 1931 and 32. And this informs what's happening in Ukraine now. Stalin um, engineered the death by starvation of between four and eight million Ukrainians by seizing the land off small farmers and collectivizing it into big, um, supposedly more efficient units. This has kept within the soul and heart of uh, Ukraine. So with the exception of Ireland, I've never uh, seen in all my travels a nation that uh, reveres and cherishes the soil as much as uh, Ukrainians do because they know that that's the only thing that will keep them alive in times of trouble. They haven't lost that contact with the soil that sadly we have in the UK uh, and, and farming. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, 
Uh, we looked at the soil. Um, these collective farms have been split up, one or two hectares per, per village, uh, villager, but um, very quickly that system had broken down, um, machinery broken down, uh, rental payments um, were, were there to be had, but um, certainly we, when we visited in 2005, uh, we looked at the east, a lot more advanced there, um, but there were difficulties um, from other reasons. The best quality soil was in the east. Uh, nobody was looking at the west. We were told we were crazy to be looking at the west. But we spotted something that others hadn't, uh, Mark and I. And um, the, uh, th this, for about 10 or 15 years, this land hadn't been farmed at all. It was just tumbled down vegetation with very little uh, environmental benefit. Um, and um, fantastic soils underneath, and it was available to rent. But if you rented 100 hectares, uh, and our first year we rented 90, um, then you had 90 landlords to, 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 uh, to talk to. Um, but the soil underneath was good. We also spotted that whereas in the east we were talking about uh, 300 uh, or less millimetres of rainfall, um, in the west, uh, because of the Carpathian Mountains, there was a lot more rainfall. And it was this combination of enough rainfall, about 750 millimetres of rainfall, uh, good soil uh, and land availability at a decent price that was important. But on top of that, there was also um, a workforce there. Um, most of the villages were 90% unemployed, um, but they, all, they had agriculture and the soil in, in their heart. Uh, they, they had an affinity with the land and um, one could employ, even though we paid slightly over the odds, um, uh, because that's where we worked uh, in terms of it securing loyalty, um, you could employ four Ukrainian tractormen for the price of one in, in Scotland. So there was labour, there was soil, there was climate and there was availability of, of, um, of good quality land at a very reasonable cost. Against that, and I think even a few years ago, um, in any focus group, the first word that would come up in uh, conversation, what do you think when I tell you the, the, the word Ukraine, it would be corruption. And that was something we were quite uh, concerned about. Um, I guess one of the reasons we, uh, half jokingly, we, we settled on the west of Ukraine was that uh, it was near the Polish border. It had previously been part of Poland and it, uh, we had contacts in Poland, obviously, from previous years, and uh, it wouldn't, wasn't that far to drive a tractor back across the border if we needed to do so. Um, but uh, we were pleasantly surprised. Um, it, things worked well. Um, we ploughed our first field with an old Russian uh, tractor, which had previously been used to uh, pull a missile um, uh, sled in the, in the, during the Cold War. So it was very much um, you know, swords into ploughshares. Sadly, it's gone the other way now, um, but we hope to be back going uh, to, away from swords back into plowshares in, in the future uh, very soon. Um, and, and it worked well. We planted 90 hectares of potatoes. I, uh, with, uh, with Mark, uh, I managed to persuade uh, two other um, venerable um, uh, stalwarts of uh, Scottish agriculture, uh, Russell and George Taylor, to invest as well, and the four of us went and planted 90 hectares of potatoes. Um, I uh, told my bank manager I was um, going to put an extension on the house, 
Um, I didn't tell him that the house was going to be in Ukraine. So I got my uh, my stake in and we, and we put um, uh, uh, a quarter of a million uh, pounds into putting 90 hectares of potatoes in. They yielded well. Um, everything worked well. So we expanded uh, and, and, and developed from there. And uh, again, long story short, um, that uh, uh, over a period of about 14 years, we developed the business and um, we got uh, we launched it. Uh, we did an IPO on the uh, London Stock Exchange on the AIM market and uh, it became a, um, a, a, a listed company. And um, it, that all the profits were invested back into expanding. Um, we uh, then got um, investment from from uh, abroad and developed it into um, the largest regenerative uh, farming operation in Europe. Uh, and we were really regenerating um, the land, even though regenerative farming hadn't been even coined as a, as a, a term at that stage. We were um, improving the soil structure by using the right cultivations. <clears throat> we're using rotations, <coughs> excuse me, uh, good cropping, good technology, and a new farming system, um, really, uh, which hadn't been tried uh, before globally. But we developed uh, um, into a larger uh, farm. I suppose when we started, there were two models in world agriculture. There was the low input, high hectares um, model of arable production, which you'd say Australia or US, lots of, lots of land, low, low yields coming from low inputs because of climatic or other constraints. You then had the higher input or high input, uh, low hectares model, which was a place like Germany, UK, Scotland, relatively small farm sizes, but high output and high inputs. Uh, so we thought we would try um, a third way, which we called, uh, the company was called Continental then, we called it Continental uh, Approach. Uh, we're now Central Plains Group uh, in, a, in a different guise uh, as a company, but maybe more of that later. And we, uh, we went for high hectares with an integrated farm management approach using the best technology, uh, using genetics was a big thing for us, new genetics um, to, to build yields. So we went from about 1.5 tonnes a hectare of wheat, um, which was the local average at the time, up to over six or seven tonnes a hectare for wheat. Um, so using junior, new genetics, lots of new technology, precision farming, uh, regenerative uh, techniques, um, we, we developed it. And eventually it became a, um, a farm of uh, 200,000 hectares or, or over half a million uh, acres in the old money and uh, with three and a half thousand employees. And I saw very clearly, um, and Mark and I are very proud of the, of the way that, um, that we've developed uh, employment there and, and that the company we eventually sold and, um, and have set up a, a, a new venture, uh, which you, you visited Wallace, uh, um, which is a more vertically integrated company based on potato and potato starch and biopolymers called Central Plains Group. Um, but that was the journey we were on and uh, lots of exciting stories along the way, but uh, we probably haven't got time for them all, all today, but um, uh, a very rewarding. And one of the things we learned uh, and, and treasured over that time was the, the great Ukrainian people that we worked with. Uh, we managed to avoid the, the traps of corruption. We had a lot of good workers working for us, a lot of people, young people who were given the opportunity uh, and, and took it and, and excelled. 
And uh, we've seen that uh, during the war as well. Uh, you don't realise how good your staff are until they have to farm during a war. And by goodness, they have been fantastic. Um, building a starch factory and developing, uh, you know, uh, state-of-the-art potato storage and so forth that you saw yourself um with guidance from us, but very much from the, from the training that we gave them over the years before and their own drive and enthusiasm. Fantastic. And so my love of Ukraine and, and the love of the Ukrainian people came from that and the respect for them. And, um, you know, the, uh, I guess now the flip chart wouldn't say corruption, it would say bravery and courage uh, and resolve, because that's what we're still seeing now, even with the, the problems in the, uh, in the U.S., uh, with the Republicans and uh, one or two nations um, in in Europe as well, uh, we're still seeing the resolve is there um, to, to 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 exist really. And um, you know, I, whenever I go across there, uh, I'm I'm always um, astounded and astonished by the the resolve that these guys still have now, men and women and children, um, and and they, they deserve our support and, and help. It was, um, yeah, humbling, I think, to see that. And uh, I, I will, we will jump onto Ukraine from a, from a, you know, philanthropic side in a, in a minute or two, Keith. But the, how, how did it feel to, to have an IPO? You know, an initial public offering is something that we think of with companies that are like, you know, probably the stuff we're using at the minute, Apple and Samsung and stuff. Certainly across the 173 episodes, I'm unaware of anyone, I think apart from, funnily enough, Vince, <laughs> um, who'll have had one. Uh, what's that experience like? Because you're going from, well, essentially the king, <laughs> or the two kings, however many kings there is, kings and queens, whatever it is, to then, well, we've got a lot of people that have now got to say, how does that go? Well, it's, it's a very interesting process, and I, I've done actually two IPOs because I did one of another Ukrainian company as well, which was the first agricultural IPO in uh, in uh, Ukraine. And um, one of the things I, on, on that journey, I, I did uh, 98 uh, investor meetings in uh, 14 countries in six weeks. Oh, wow. And... Um, very. Uh, that was a very uh, steep learning curve. We produced a great in, uh, technical dossier um, with lots of information in, and um, I was expecting these guys, the masters of the universe, um, to be quizzing me. Uh, Dr. Dawson, you say on page 64 this. Uh, what's your evidence for it? Nothing of the sort. We had about an hour in front of them each, each time, uh, and um, most of them hadn't even read the dossier. They were looking at a number of other projects projects that day and I guess in those days 2005 before the financial crash although a lot of the same people are, are still there now um, there would be um, you know uh, a case of throwing a number of eggs against a wall if you were investing and uh, maybe one out of the dozen might not crack and you would make your your bonuses and your returns on that but what it taught me was to look after my own pension fund I can tell you um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, these guys were not masters of the universe, certainly not in our our sphere. And um, it was uh, it was a very fascinating and interesting experience. But you're right to say you, moving away from uh, you know being a, a, the the owner manager, if you like, as, as we were as a group, um, and we had a great team together. 
um, Polish and um, and Scottish, um, then uh, you you had to accept that you know you had to make decisions in a slightly different way and, and be a little bit more collegiate. But we were we worked very hard to get investors who supported us in that, and um, uh, most of them recognised that what we were good at and we recognised what they were good at. Uh, and they knew that we wouldn't be making too many mistakes on the farming uh, side of things. I always think that farming is biology times environment times humanity. And that's enough variables for anybody um, in, in a lifetime. And, uh, you know, climate is, is a key issue in Ukraine, obviously, with hard winters and, and warmer summers and uh, a short growing season. So uh, challenges there. But um Generally, we were uh, allowed to um, to manage the business as, as we would have done before. Um, we were pretty strong individuals in, in terms of that. And we had a team with all the appropriate skills. Uh, different people brought different uh, things to the uh, equation. And, and we continued to, to, to grow, which is what shareholders want. And, and that was the important thing. And, you know, we, we've, um, I suppose, got, got this far without talking about food security. But there's certainly, you know, a very important role to be had there for Ukraine uh, globally. And that's what such a tragedy at the moment that they can't help in the way that they would be doing uh, otherwise. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, supply and demand is still extremely tight. Uh, we're dipping into stocks now and those stocks are not universally uh, um, uh, across the board in, in different countries. China has a huge stock. Um, other countries have virtually none and, and are very sensitive to uh, famine, although I do believe that uh, the vast majority of famines and difficulties now are not down to climate change, but are down to, uh, to politics. And, and we can see that very clearly, I think, um, in, in the current situation, whether it's Yemen or, or, or Ukraine. Uh, so an interesting experience. And uh, so we could, we could uh, write a book and we might do one day on, on that. Um, but uh, uh, it, it, to get that outward uh, um, facing in investment into um, agriculture was easier in the days of food security than now. Now it's a bit more about things like vertical farming, although that will always only be a rounding error in terms of global food supply for high value crops. Um, but, you know, it, it's the next big thing, if you like. And uh, one's got to be careful that um, one doesn't get caught up in, in fads and, and this, this sort of thing when one's investing. That's a really interesting one. And one we um guy Jamie, who's who's another one of that Nuffield cohort, is is basically looking at his study on I've got I think about a thousand hectares. I think he's got arable ground in England. And uh, he's like, but so I've got this it basically came from there's this little field about a kilometre away that I've got to harvest, but it just seems like a waste of time. And he's like, there's people that are in you know, camper vans that are making vertical, why can't we do this over the course of a thousand hectares? And he's basically looking at the ability to sort of, you mentioned sort of a rounding error. Is there a way for it not to be a rounding error? Which is quite interesting because you're absolutely right because it is at the minute. Um, it'll be interesting to see the future. One one thing that I just kind of want to reiterate, uh, Keith, and I think it's my understanding's correct. You mentioned 200,000 hectares, which first off is, is a number when you told me again, I was like, I can't even compute it. For those that know where I'm from, I'm from Arran, um, it is about 40,000. So it's about four and a, a wee bit Arran's. Um, but just to reiterate for the listeners, you didn't own it. You sort of almost consolidated a business of renting it all. Is that how it sort of operated? Just just to sort of reiterate. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, that, that's that's correct. You're, you're quite right, Wallace. Um, it was actually illegal at that point to um, uh, to, to buy as a foreigner. Um, if you were a Ukrainian with, with land, I was a Ukrainian with money, we couldn't do a deal. You were only allowed to rent. You could buy the steading, if you like, uh, but you couldn't buy the land itself. Now there's a, that's changed. So um, in, in a small way, Ukrainians can sell to each other, but you still can't buy uh, as a foreigner. But that suited Mark and, and my model uh, very well because we wanted to farm. We weren't interested in, in the land speculation thing as much as, as farming and farming as much land as we could, as well as we could. And, uh, you know, the ethos was very much about um, handing back the land um, because there's a discipline in that, being good stewards to the land, you know, and that's what we promised in all these village council meetings that we stood in in the early days um, to try and get a few hectares of land together, uh, um, you know, that we would look after the land and hand it back to them better than we had got it uh, from them. And uh, whether that was, uh, you know, soil structure, um, soil biology uh, or soil fertility, um, we've achieved that. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But I say the, the, the soil is very much in, in the Ukrainian soul. And we had some very perceptive um, questions at these uh, village council meetings in the early days where all the, all the landowners, you know, why the hell should we come and rent to you? Um, you know, and, and this is a land which has been um, raped and pillaged by succeeding invaders for centuries. Um, you know, it's a country that's been invaded many times, but has never invaded anybody. And I think that's something that, that uh, you know, is important to remember in, in, in the current times. But, um, you know, so they, they gave us trust. And, and once they realized that if we said we we're going to come in and plow a field, we were going to plow it and we we're going to sow a crop. And oh, by the way, we will pay you the rent. Here it is, uh, whether it's in dollars or in corn or maize, as some of them wanted it, um, then you know, the word got round, oh, these guys actually mean business, you know, unlike many who come here before, um, you know, they want, to, they want to do the right thing. And we provided a lot of local employment, uh, one job per household, because we felt that was the way through. We provided a lot of training, did a lot of social programs, whether that was with hospitals, schools, bridge building, road building, um, and, and all, all these things which made us good neighbours. And uh, we were looked upon as being, um, you know, a... Uh, uh, a real model of, of inward uh, direct investment um, to, to the good of the whole thing. Yes, we made a, a good return on our investments, but so did the whole um, the whole um, oblast or region of, of Lviv, uh, uh, which is where we were. Uh, Lviv, a city which nobody had heard of uh, hardly before 22nd of um, February 2022, and now everybody has heard of it. I know it was a it was a horrible two 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 date that yeah. and I think we all are aware of it um, and I think one thing I'm just going to quickly throw out is talking about and it just you jog my memory with the fact of they've been invaded many times but never invaded I don't think people realise how big Ukraine is now I don't have a number as to what amount of hectares it is but I mean you literally farmed a uh, 16th of Scotland so that gives you an idea but just for, for reference when when we were in Lviv um, which is about 40 minutes into Ukraine, uh, we were almost closer to Amsterdam than we were to Russia, um, which I think was quite important to mention because folk were like saying, is it safe and stuff like that? And I mean, I'll certainly say, and Keith, I'm sure you'll say, I went a walk on my own at night and I never felt unsafe. I felt a hell of a lot less safe in Paisley and Glasgow and wherever. 
Um, yep. People came and chatted to you. They realised you didn't speak, uh, well, you only spoke English, which is a failing of our nation. But anyway, um, they helped you then just to say, oh, you might want to look here, whatever. Very friendly, very safe feeling place. Um, and we, we could sort of speak about... Um, about where you've transitioned to where where the farming side is now with with starch and and looking particular potatoes and very much less ground being farmed, um. But I do really want to focus on, on the pickups for peace side as well. And if you are interested in that side, we can talk about it for a minute or two. But uh, if you're listening, and you want to see it. I did put quite a big post up about it, um, on Instagram in October. So feel free to go and look. I've got like a sort of highlight of Ukraine and everything I talked about, and I made a TikTok about our journey out, um, and Central Plains Group are 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 on online as well but could you just give us a sort of brief overview um keith of what, what's happening with you guys farming wise in ukraine now yeah we um having sold our um business to uh, a sovereign wealth fund we agreed to manage it for uh, three years to keep the continuity uh, but we still felt there was another roll of the dice and we wanted to do more to help develop the uh, ukrainian agriculture so we set up um uh, a new company called Central Plains Group. And the idea here was to um, uh, base it on, on potatoes as a crop, uh, as we had, had done the previous business. Um, the previous business was the, became the largest potato grower in, the, in, in, the, in Ukraine. Um, we now are, are the second largest uh, potato grower commercially in Ukraine with uh, just over a thousand hectares. Of, and we sell to a number of different markets, whether that's seed, whether that's uh, processing for crisps, whether it's um, supermarkets uh, with, uh, with fresh produce or indeed uh, processing for starch. Uh, and we, we um, learned how important starch was uh, for the whole food uh, um, processing industry. Um, even, for example, in the early days of the war, the fact there was a shortage of yeast because there wasn't the starch available to grow the yeast on, which uh, was a connection that I hadn't uh, really realized before. So you could have all the wheat you wanted but you wouldn't have any bread unless there was starch there to grow the yeast on to, to um, make the bread. So we, we wanted a more vertically integrated uh, uh, system. And the other thought we had, um, I am far more worried as an environmental scientist about plastic pollution than I ever am about climate change. Um, and uh, one of the things we were trying to, to develop with the uh, potato starch, and we've made good progress on it uh, so far, is developing uh, biopolymers from potato starch, which are uh, biodegradable, so that packaging uh, isn't going to be there for a thousand years in the soil or wherever it's dumped. It will break down um, and uh, return to um, its constituents. And um, biodegradable polymers uh, is an area that we're we're looking at pretty hard within Central Plains Group. So um, you know, again, it's capturing it's capturing carbon and capturing. Uh, uh, the, the sunshine to produce that uh, and fix that carbon and having having a, um, a circular economy within the business so that any effluence and any, any waste is then being recycled on the land um, and trying to have as low footprint as we can possibly uh, for the business. And it's gone well, I say, considering that we started during COVID and we commissioned the factory two weeks before the war, um, we're, we're still in a, um, you know, a viable position and, um, you know, again, a, a, a looking um, you know, uh, to the future in terms of uh, uh, biodegradable polymers, which we believe is, is an important uh, part of the uh, uh, of reducing our environmental footprint as a, as a species. And I think one thing I said to you when we were there was uh, 
you know, you spoke about resolve and ability to run a business in the middle of a war was irrespective of COVID or a war. When you started, there would not be a port of cabin yet in the UK. <laughs> I mean, the speed and the efficiency that it's done and not just to get it up and hope it works, like it works well. I, I was blown away by when you said when it had, when it had been sort of commissioned was, was quite amazing. Um, it was a fantastic. Well, there are there are there are, a, there are a lot of planning rules and regulations there, but you know it's a uh, we managed to uh, circumvent and navigate our way through those, um, and it, you know our environmental footprint is very important to us. So it's not that there aren't rules; it's just that there's a bit more of a can-do spirit rather than the can't-do spirit. I've always feel in life that there are two groups of people: um, those who look uh, for problems and those who look for solutions. I think sometimes uh, in the UK, we maybe sometimes err towards more the uh, looking for problems rather than the solutions. I'm, I'm much more um, outcome focused than I am process focused. And uh, uh, that has its strengths and weaknesses, but at least it achieves something uh, a bit quicker, as you say. I think it's so litigious here and in the States. Everyone's sort of scared of going too far with progression that there's an issue and it probably leads to that. Um, the reason you and I met though Keith was uh, was Pickups for Peace we spoke about Pickups for Peace in the past in the podcast um, but I think you'll probably be a wee bit more in depth with the the why and the emotional connection um, than the last episode we spoke a lot about what it was why it was happening and whatnot. not um, but I mean it's not even a year old how and why is Pickups for Peace a thing? I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Well, back in the previous business, uh, because remember this war has been going on not from 2022, but 2014, when the Crimea was seized and the Donbass was seized by the little green men that supposedly weren't Russian, but it's now uh, um, they've admitted it was. Um, you know, we've had um, employees going off to the front to fight, and uh, we always felt it was part of our social duty to help them. So we've been supplying uh, you know, things like winter clothing, boots, and even Kevlar jackets to these guys um, for, for, for a number of years as they've gone off, you know. Uh, and that's a very emotional thing, you know, when you you know that uh, somebody's going off to the east and, uh, you know, they've done a good job for you, worked well with you. Um, you've had a few laughs and a few beers along the way. And suddenly they're going off to war, to a war and they might not come back. That's quite a salutary, uh, you know, thought when we're so, uh, you know, cotton wool clad in, in, in the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a reality for us, you know. Um, so, obviously, um, things intensified in February 2022, and um, we had a, a situation where in that June, um, we decided that we would, uh, we'd already started, even in the, the very first days of the war, we'd lent tractors and, and uh, uh, diggers and all sorts of things to help uh, roadblocks, build roadblocks and uh, fortifications and things around Lviv and uh, to to stop, um, you know, saboteurs and so forth, um, uh, free passage around around the region. Um, so we'd, we'd help there. We'd also 
produced enough uh, clothing and, and, and jackets. We wanted to do more. So along with um, Caledonian Marts, who very uh, um, generously uh, donated um, uh, the profits from one of their, their sales, um, uh, we bought three pickups, um, which four-wheel drive pickups, second-hand ones, which went off to the front, uh, rescuing villagers, taking wounded back from the, the, the front. And they did sterling work um, for about six months, saving many lives. Um, and uh, in, within a week, uh, two of them were destroyed in separate incidents by Russian artillery fire. And we thought, well, these, these things have been doing a really good job. Um, we should replace them. And then I guess we thought, well, why don't we try and do a, a bit more? And try and get some more, um, uh, because the, the, you know they are absolutely saving lives. You know, if you can get a, a wounded guy who stepped on a landmine back to the the hospital in behind the lines quicker, you've got a much better chance of saving saving. And as you say, it's uh, it's 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 families that are also affected by this. Um, so we started off. We thought we might get between thirty and fifty vehicles if we tried really hard. Um, but the generosity of, of, the, of the farming community and, and the wider agricultural community within Scotland uh, has just amazed us. Um, you know, we wanted to help these people. We knew that they were up against it. And uh, whenever I'm driving across um, Europe, I think of my three granddaughters. You know, I want them to, to, to uh, grow up in a rules-based system where might is not right and that uh, they have a stable world. A world that we've taken for granted, I guess, over the last few decades, um, which is in the balance. And um, Ukrainians are fighting not just for themselves and their own existence, but for us, because who will be next? And and, and one looks, if, if uh, Putin wins, then Taiwan, no doubt, will be under greater threat and will be next. Um, we will see um, a lot more um, disharmony and difficulties in the world. And uh, we need to nip this in the bud because high is the cost now in terms of um, uh, stopping Putin. The cost in the future will be greater to stop either him or the next dictator that decides that, um, you know, that the, that the West hasn't got uh, the stomach for standing up to tyranny. Um, so we, we, we started off with um, uh, the, the first convoy. And um, the important thing was these vehicles are going. We didn't want them to go empty. Um, that seemed to be a waste. So we filled them with a whole range of things, everything from jerry cans and, and spades, uh, the odd drone um, and medical kit, medical supplies. Um, you know, my uh, office here has been uh, full of uh, medical uh, equipment, putting together trauma kits, um, each of which, um, you know, we put about 10 of those in the back of a Land Rover. Uh, each one of those trauma kits will save between 30 and 40 lives on the front because uh, Ukraine is now the most mined land in human history. And, um, you know, something like 20 percent of this huge country, which takes, you know, 17, 18 hours to drive across, um, is, is, is mined uh, and denied agricultural production. That, that in itself is a crime against humanity. It takes a warped mind to design um, a machine which will fire landmines up to 15 kilometers away just to deny land from agricultural production. Um, you know, and we need every hectare and, and will do in the future as the population grows to its peak of 11 billion. So we worked hard. Um, 
it's exceeded our wildest dreams. The generosity uh, of, of people has been amazing. And we, so we've sent um, vehicles and we leave them there and then fly back. Um, we've, they're full of supplies. But what's become clear to us as well is that these vehicles are also filled with hope um, because a lot of the Ukrainians who are so grateful for the supplies that we give them are actually um, saying, well, yes, the supplies are good, the vehicles are fantastic, but the most important thing you give to us is the fact that we're not forgotten and that people are prepared to drive across Europe to help us. And that means so much. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so the hope, hope is an important thing. Um, and believe you me, if we don't stop this happening now and do everything we can, then the world will be a worse thing in the future. And I don't want that for my three young granddaughters and, and, and my children. And, uh, you know, we have got a duty of, of care and responsibility not just to Ukrainians, but to our own, our own families and people to help. I, th I think you've said this, but I just want to make sure in case you haven't. You mentioned about uh, your aim was 30 to 50 vehicles going out. I don't think you've said how many. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, well, we've now reached, uh, we've done um, 10 convoys, 10 full convoys. And uh, in each of those, we're taking between 20 and, and 30 vehicles. The last one I led, um, in November, um, it was Mark Laird, Vince, uh, Alistair Stewart and, my, and myself set, set pickups for Peace Up. Uh, and we've been uh, across on a number of these things ourselves, obviously. Um, then uh, we're now up to 270 vehicles. And we've raised uh, an amazing £2.8 million pounds of, uh, of aid for, for Ukraine. And the next one will be going in February. So if anybody wants to... to donate a vehicle or do a crowdfund, uh, drive across. Uh, we've had about 450 drivers now. Um, and uh, I've not met one yet who hasn't said it's one of the most amazing experiences they have ever had. Uh, it's safe. It's not completely safe, but it's pretty safe, as you say. Um, uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the journey itself, the camaraderie of the people and the gratitude of the Ukrainians and what you see there um, is uh, something that everybody has struggled for the adjective to describe it. But I think the best one was uh, a borders farmer, Neil Thompson, who said, fulfilling. And uh, you will never make a more fulfilling journey in your life than uh, pickups for peace. One of the things that, um, you know, uh, has troubled us over, over the Christmas period has been, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea that uh, the ULA um, areas uh, that vehicles will be scrapped. So one, that's one of the things we're working hard on to get hold of some of these four-wheel drive vehicles that will be scrapped. Otherwise, we've had uh, police recovered vehicles now that have gone across. Again, a, a real moral crime in my view that something is, is, dis is destroyed. Um, eventually, our vehicles will be destroyed and, and there is an attrition rate on the vehicles but uh, they go over there, sadly. Um, but they all save lives. And I think I've probably expanded uh, on the basis of, of um, uh, what people have said to me um, out there that you know, each of these vehicles probably saves 10 lives. So I think we've probably, you know, if one of those trauma kits and there is 11 in a, in a vehicle can save 30 lives, then we've saved more than one per vehicle. So about 2,700 lives. And, you know, that's, a, 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 say, um, you know, more... Um, people, uh, more families who, who are happy, um, uh, who haven't lost loved ones, 
um, and uh, and another thousand seven hundred seats that are filled around the around the Christmas uh, dinner table. Um, so um, that's that's where we're coming from with that. We will continue. Um, the need is greater than ever. As I said the things have intensified, but I do feel things are, are on the turn, um, and that um, Russia is desperate. Um, uh, as evidenced by the fact that we're rounding up people at New Year's celebrations to uh, uh, press gang them into the army um, uh, this week. Um, you know, that's a sign of desperation. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, this, this is a war for, for Western values, for the rule of, of, of law and international rules-based system. So um, that's, that's where we're coming from, as well as the lives of all the people that we save. Yeah, it's it's pretty powerful when you consider two and a half thousand more or less, whatever, um, people being saved and more being helped. You know, it's not always a case of someone not dying. There's also a lot more to it. And I mean, some of the people we met, uh, one person that really stuck out with me, and um, she actually might be listening because we do keep in touch on social media. I apologise if it's not Christina or Christina, but Christina Zamula was she absolutely blew me away. I mean, I, we sat at dinner and I had a chat with her and we just did a lovely chat as if you were chatting with someone at dinner. And then she stood up and like, I would have followed that woman into battle. Oh my God. I've never met such a powerful person. I was absolutely blown away by her. Um, and I can't remember her exact title, but she seemed to be not governess of the military, Deputy Lofi, something like that. What was it, Keith? Sorry. Deputy governor. Yeah, yeah. Governor. yeah, I mean, absolutely fantastic woman. Um, as were so many folk that we met. Um, I could name quite a few, but yeah, uh, phenomenal. And you mentioned fulfilling. Absolutely. I think it was one of those ones that I think uh, you know, the first section is is driving from from uh, from Mark's farm uh, to Newcastle, bit of crack on the boat, fun drive across continental Europe and a nice pickup or a good pickup. Uh, then again a bit of crack in a hotel and then this, that's when it starts to get real because you sort of done your first chat at that point then Keith and then um, the drive in obviously is quite quite <laughs> quite intense you get five hours in Poland and then you're sort of going across the border and basically the one rule you were told is don't stop um, and then it starts getting intense but then it's the case of we'll drop the pickups off let's go and enjoy Lviv and then it feels like it almost felt wrong but it felt just like let's have a nice time in this nice city and then I'm glad we did both one seeing a central plains group but then even more importantly uh, seeing the you know as I said I don't actually know if the term is graves but the the sort of memorials that that would eventually be graves to what was just that was important it was so harrowing but it made you realize what you were part of and I, I remember saying to you that one of the one of the names or one of the dates there was the twenty sixth of December nineteen ninety six, which is my exact birthday, and that person would have been probably in the older 60 percent that were there, you know. And it was, I think, if if there's people out there that are listening enough, so I've only said this four or five times on the podcast, get involved if you can. I'm not saying put money in; you might not be able to, but if you've got a week that coincides with a mission to go out, do it. It'll it'll change you. And I had been to. <clears throat> Tanzania and Rwanda both very 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 rewarding weeks two months prior and this was up there with it you know it is it was um it was amazing I would strongly advise you advise you do it and Rwanda obviously a, a place that's went through a, 
a horrible experience in recent years as well. I know 30 years ago, but still. Uh, so yeah, Keith said it, I've said it, Vince has said it, and everyone you bump into that's involved will probably say it. Get involved, go and do it. It's fun, then it's exhilarating, then it's um, just every emotion that you can't expect, sadness, just complete disbelief that humanity, humans can do what they do and then understanding what you are beginning to change. So yeah, I would strongly advise getting involved with Pickups for Peace if you can. Um, so yeah, Keith, first off, thanks for, for telling us about Pickups for Peace and where, where, where it sort of came from. Um, I think the fact that we spent probably four days together and uh, spent a fair chunk of that chat and means we could probably sit here for five or six hours, Keith, but truth is that's not going to be the case. Um, maybe it'll be another episode down the line, uh, maybe when you reach 500 pickups, which I'm sure will happen, maybe here, if it keeps going at the same rate, it could be in 2024, um, if not even before the end of that. So, But thank you very much for your time. Uh, I appreciate your time hugely, um, and I'm sure the viewers will as well. Uh, but there's two questions I ask everyone before the end of every podcast and no one gets away with it. I absolutely hate one of the questions, but I've asked it 173 times now, so I'm probably not going to change. The first one's where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one, which you've probably kind of done as we go, is if you had any tips for people or advice for people coming into farming, what would they be? Well, that, that, those are great questions. And, and and first of all, thank you, Wallace, for the, the opportunity to, to chat with you this evening. You know, it's, it's been been great to, to share some of these these things with you so uh, where do i see myself in five years time well i i would like to say farming a successful profitable business in a peaceful ukraine um you know i'm, I'm only a young 65 uh, now so um I've, I've got a few years in me uh, and um as i say um i'm delighted at the the pathway i've chosen through life as far as farming and agriculture is concerned it couldn't have been more rewarding, you know, meeting people like yourself and uh, uh, these days and 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 keen young um, uh, agricultural agriculturalists and technologists um, is is a joy. And um, I think that um, the, um, the 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 advice that I would give is um, take a risk, take a risk sometimes, you know. Um, in, in life, you'll always regret more the things that you don't do than the things that you do. Um, and and uh, the time to do it is now. So make the most of... Um, I'm painfully aware now that uh, years, are, years are becoming limited. You guys, uh, if, if you're younger, have got uh, a lot of years ahead. Don't waste time. Learn, travel, uh, absorb, and, and, and then do. And, and I think that's, the, that's the, what I would say. But uh, for those of you in the younger echelons who've chosen this industry, I congratulate you. Your, your choice couldn't be a better one. And uh, I wish you all the very best on what will be an exciting next 50 years in farming agriculture as we face all the challenges that, w that we have. And um, I wish you luck. And uh, I wish you luck with your podcast, uh, Wallace, which is uh, going from strength to strength. So thank you very much indeed. Here it's and I wish you all a happy. I wish you all a happy new year and a peaceful new year going forward. We hope. It's yes, hopefully yes. I like that, and it's a uh, the podcasts are interesting. One, I mean, someone said to me a good podcast uh, series is down to the host and the episodes down to the guest, and it's so true because 
um, you know, I, I could sit here and be boring twenty four seven, which some folk might say I am. But the thing I love is I meet so many fantastic folk on here, and that that's good for me. It's good for those listening. It's probably good for the person coming on as well, just have a chat. But um, no, I I hugely appreciate you coming on, and and I'll say I'll sort of end the podcast on a note that um, I don't wear many things on my wrist. I don't wear many um like bands or jewellery or whatnot. I have my gym band here that allows me to get in there and I have a nice band of someone, a good friend of mine, Emily, that gave me uh, the band that has the, the brand name Rural to Kitchen on it. And then I have one that says Ukraine that I was given by uh, by an employee of yours, Keith, at, at CPG. And yeah. uh, that will be on until it breaks because it, it, it will hold a pretty notable place in my heart now, Ukraine. I think up with the other two countries I just mentioned in Africa, like they first there were probably the first few countries I really travelled to and just the, the sort of power of, of, of what was happening there will, will always stick with me. And and I kinda hope, like you say, I don't kind of, I hope that by the time this band does rip and come off as they eventually do five or six years down the line, that it'll just be a nice yellow and blue band. It won't signify anything that's happening currently because it won't matter anymore. It'll just be a country like you say, you can farm in peacefully. So that's absolutely the future and what we hope to hope to work towards. Um, so yeah, in, in a place that I just off camera actually, or sorry, off recording, uh, I introduced Keith to uh, to my partner, <laughs> and the reason for that was was um, another reason that's quite a nice place in my heart as I sat in the 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 lobby of the the hotel because when you go out you you go out with another driver so it's not just a case of driving for twelve hours on your own. Um, and and Bill who I got to know great. Uh, I brought on his sister on the podcast. So if you want to go listen to 163 about Kate Rawls, who cycled from the north to the south of South America, go listen to that. And Keith, because you're the only one that can see, I now have her book. So I'm quite excited to, to read that. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But the reason I'm saying that is, is um, you, you, you spend your whole time with them and that's in the hotel as well. So I, I went out to the lobby at two in the morning in Ukraine because I didn't want to wake up Bill. And that was where I tra tragically over FaceTime asked Jasmine to go out with me. So that's another reason Ukraine's always going to put a nice place in my heart with me. Um, so yeah, just a, a, a sort of side fact for you all to hear there. But that's been Dr. Keith Dawson, a, a great episode, as I said at the start, and I expected it to be um, for those uh, that quite enjoy the podcast in general and not just here to, to hear Keith's story. Um, the last episode we had, as I said at the start, was with Sophie Gregory, an organic dairy farmer that came into farming nine or ten years ago and she has grabbed the bull by the horns, uh, even though they normally work with cows. But anyway, still, I thought it was quite a funny little pun there to say. Uh, she's now involved in Arla. She's involved in um, organics at a sort of pol uh, policy level and now she's doing her field as well. Uh, and the following, for those that enjoy those people that get in cars and try and go into tornadoes. Uh, Ricky Forbes is one of the faces of 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 that mental urge <laughs> um, as one of the tornado hunter presenters in the States. So Ricky will be coming on with the next episode. Today's been Keith Dawson. Keith, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Wallace. Appreciate it. And it's been good to chat again. And uh, we will see you all for episode number 174 with Ricky Forbes. See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural and I'll see you for the next episode.